This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to iFanboy Talksplode with Jason Aaron, writer of Star Wars, Doctor Strange, Thor, Southern Bastards, and the Goddamned. I want to wish you Merry Christmas to my people, to my family, and to my friends in Circle Real Life on my website, and on Facebook, and on YouTube. At the end, a very Merry Christmas to my mother, to my father, to the respective new partners that I wish for everybody to have a good time. Hey, welcome to another edition of iFanboy Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and this is our bonus episode, thanks to support of the iFanboy patrons, where we take some time out to chat with a comic creator about their work, what goes into it, what they're working on, basically what makes them tick. This time around, we're talking to one of our favorite writers, Jason Aaron, uh, who won the Eisner Award for Best Writer uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's been a while since I chatted with Jason uh, in this capacity, so let's just get right to it. So I'm here with Eisner Award winning writer jason aaron how you doing jason i'm great how are you ron doing well long time no talk in this podcast format it's been a while <laughs> it's been a long time right <laughs> yeah it has feels like it yeah but but i i, I mean 
we've talked, just not in the podcast. Sure, yeah, no, we talked amongst ourselves, and and you know, as as good friends do. But uh, but in a, in a, a media uh, position, it's been a while. Right. So we're just talking about Disney World and tiki drinks. Yeah, podcast, really, we're not right? going to talk about comics at all. We're just going to have a conversation as if we we the things we talk about in our day to day basis. <laughs> Sweet. Um, well, no, so I haven't really haven't officially spoken to you since the Eisners. Um, so you were the best you won the award for best writer you are the best writer in comics as of this year how, <laughs> how does that feel uh, uh feels good i guess i don't know it feels you know it was it was a uh, it was fun it was a really fun night at the eisners um you know the winning that uh, i got up and cried a little bit and talked about my mom um, and then Latour and I, you know, got to go up together for Southern Bastard. So, yeah, it was, it was it was really fun. You know, I mean, it's not like I I started writing comics because I wanted to win awards, or you know, I sit home pining, wondering, you know, when am I going to win an Eisner? But right. um, you know, it's really it's really gratifying, and it was a yeah, it was a big it's a big honor, a big thrill. It's fun to see Latour freak out too. You well, know, yeah, and then I mean, fun. it is it is so, best Colonel Sanders impression. Um, but uh, he tackled he tackled me when we won for <laughs> Southern Bastards. Literally tackled me. <laughs> well, and that that's got to be that, that's I mean, of course, it's got to be gratifying and feel good. But I mean, but the fact that to have Southern Bastards also be recognized, you know, your guy, you know, that that creator and work that you guys are probably pouring more into personally than I think I've seen any creators pour into a creator own work. I mean, it's, it's, it's bleeds the South, which you guys bleed. Um, you know, so that must've been, I, I can't imagine how that felt to, to see that get the recognition, not only because you guys did such great work on it, but because the South never really gets any respect. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it was, it was fun just because, uh, and gratifying cause you know, we were doing a book that we didn't have any idea if, you know, anybody would be into it. I mean, nobody was, clamoring for a, a comic book about football um so we we never had any idea what to expect i mean we, it was a book that we wanted to do that we wanted to read that we wanted to see um and you know i mean i liked there was something different you know there there wasn't another book at, at image or i think anywhere else you could point to and say it's exactly like that so so i think we liked all those things never had any idea what people would think about it if anybody would be into it so so yeah it's 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 gratifying and rewarding when you can do that book and, and have it be successful and have people respond to it. Um, because it, it is very personal for, for both of us. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think, I, I think it's really interesting, at least for, for the, you know, folk, we could talk about Latour. We could do a whole podcast about Latour, but let's talk about you. Let's uh, not talk about Latour at all. I know. Yeah. But, um, but to, to, to have the range between working on one of the biggest licensed books in the universe <laughs> in Star Wars, right? Which is right. essentially, you know, media property that you have no ownership of and all the stuff, but doing a great job of, but then doing a book that is so deeply rooted in what you know, you know, when it, you know, in terms of the culture and football and all that, that kind of stuff to see that's the one that gets celebrated. I think that's got to, you know, that, I'm, I mean, I, I, I imagine you throw yourself into everything you work on, but that one's got to feel a little more special, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I do. I mean, maybe it sounds like a cliche, but I think you always have to bring something of yourself to whatever you're doing uh, or I do to, you know, to, to be able to get up and do it every day. So whether I'm writing Thor or star Wars or strange, or, you know, when I was doing X-Men or whatever, like you gotta have some kind of personal connection to it or, or way into it. Um, I think to be able to do it and certainly be able to do it and have anybody like it and respond to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, people might ask me what's my favorite book or what do I enjoy the most. I mean, it's it's a little like choosing between your kids, and that they all, you know, they all feel like my kids. Um, you know, certainly things are different, and like you said, you know, uh, Latour and I own Southern Bastards, you know, in a way that I don't own Star Wars or anything I do um, at Marvel. So yeah, I mean, you you certainly you have more ownership over it. Um, but you know, there's good and bad things that come with that, right? Like the, the good thing about doing a book at image, doing a book like Southern bastards is that, you know, 
you you make all the decisions. Nobody else is going to make decisions about your book except for you. Um, that also means that you have to make all the decisions. Like nobody else is going to come along and and make them for you. So it's you know I I, I love doing that, but I I mean I I'm I'm happy to be in a position where I don't have to choose uh, between uh, doing Star Wars and doing Southern Bastards. I get to do both, uh, which is keeps me sane, keeps me loving my job, keeps me excited week to week about what I'm doing. I don't think I could do the Southern Bastards, you know, 52 uh, <laughs> weeks, uh, you know, without killing myself. Um, so I, I like being able to mix it up. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine the world where you're doing Southern Bastards 52 weeks a year <laughs> and what that would do to a man. Right. I mean, I do love football. I do think – I literally do think about football for 52 weeks a year. Yep. Um, but I don't I don't know that I want to write about it yep. <laughs> the whole year. I want to write some Han Solo every once in a while. <laughs> well, of course, um, yeah. Um, so, so you guys are doing a, uh, you, you guys are doing a, uh, a benefit variant cover. Uh, can you tell me about how that whole, how that all broke down? Yeah, well, we were already doing for this, for this arc that just started, it's called, um, gut check. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the things are kind of changing in the book story wise. Like this is we, just with the previous issue, the end of the, previous arc we kind of just got to the point where roberta tubb um you know showed up in crawl county like we've kind of been building towards that moment since you know the first arc so now she's here and with this new arc we're kind of getting to see what that means um so given that we wanted to with each issue of this arc we wanted to do a variant cover focusing on her um so becky clunan did the the first one right and we've got others lined up um, uh, so then kind of in the midst of that, you know, the whole, uh, uh, Chelsea Kane controversy, um, happened and, um, Latour did this piece kind of just for the, the sake of doing it, um, of Roberta wearing her, uh, you know, asked me about my feminist agenda shirt. Um, and we decided to, to, you know, make that a variant cover, um, and, and, give the money away to, to, to the ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center. Cause you know, we did one of those, we did a Confederate flag variant. Um, I forget what issue it was a couple arcs ago. Um, or, you know, around the time of the, the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. And we, you know, we raised $18,000 from the sales of that variant that we gave to. That's amazing. Uh, That's great. Other Emmanuel hope fund. Um, so that was really cool. So, um, it seemed, you know, Seemed like a, a statement we wanted to make, um, and you know, another good way to to raise some money for worthwhile causes. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the, raising that amount of money with a variant is just awesome, and hopefully, you guys can raise even more with this one, um, because especially the, the the world we live in now, I think the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ACLU is more important than ever. <laughs> Not to get too political, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we went back and forth, kind of on who we would want to give that money to and kind of and settled on splitting it between the, yeah. the two of those. Yeah. That's great. So, so, you know, in terms of the Southern bastards work, um, you know, you and Latour work, you know, super, super closely. Latour's, you know, got a, he's doing some writing as well over at Marvel, as well as doing the art on bastards. How, how has the process for you guys evolved from when you started this, you know, started the book off to the point of where you're at now, where, you know, it's at issue 16, you know, how much of, how much of the, the, you know, are you guys still sticking pretty standard where you're writing the script and he's drawing it? But I, I, I get, I assume you guys are merging in, in the middle there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think it's always been that way. Um, I mean, he and I talk a lot, uh, so we we talk about what's coming up. Latour is good about what he wants. He always wants to know kind of what's coming down the road, so he's good about making me figure out, you know, maybe a little sooner than I would otherwise what's coming down the road. Um, and he's always coming up with ideas. So we, you know, a lot of the book comes out of us talking, talking stuff over on the phone or hanging out together and. And talking because um, you know we were already friends before we sure. started doing the book i mean that's kind of why the book exists in the first place is it was really more about um you know i i was talking to you and decided i wanted to do a book at image <laughs> and then realized like well i think i 
want to do it with Latour, and then he and I had to figure out, all right, well, what the hell is that going to be? Right. Um, so it was really more about the relationships than it was, you know, hey, I've got this idea in my pocket, and I like let me find somebody to draw it. So um, that relationship was always the most in, important part of it, um, and it stayed like that. It's very much our thing, um, you know. With you can't kind of pull out the parts that are me and the parts that are, that are him. It's all kind of mixed together, you know, to the point where he's, you know, he's written an issue. He's got another issue that he's writing coming up in this arc. Um, which was my idea, which I encouraged him to do. Um, and, you know, just kind of shows how it's, it's very much ours. So it's, it's a different sort of, uh, working relationship than I have on certainly on anything I do with, you know, at Marvel. Um, and even some of the other creator owned stuff I've, I've done, it's, it's, uh, it's very fulfilling. It's very much, um, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Like it's, uh, I mean, he and I kind of are married or, you know, we, we've, we've started a, like a small business together. Basically we've gone into business together, you know, when you, when you do a creator own book like this. So it, it does feel like we're, we're parents raising this kid together. So if, so if Latour is, you know, written a couple issues, when are we going to see your, your art debut? <laughs> I've said that. I said I should do a variant cover, but. I don't think oh, we no. would raise no, Jason, a lot of money. I don't, I don't want a variant cover. I want 22 pages <laughs> of sequential art done in the Jason Aaron style. <laughs> Ron, you got to let me start slow. You want me to start slow? <laughs> I don't think my variant would raise a lot of money for charity, though, if we did that. I bet you'd be surprised. I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I hate. I hate. I, I cannot draw at all. I'm terrible. I, <laughs> I, I used. I could. I drew when I was a kid. I like to draw. And at some point in elementary school, I switched and became more interested in writing, like maybe around fourth or fifth grade. So for a while, I could still draw like a pretty good fourth grader. Like my, my artistic evolution stopped at that period. Now I think it's gotten worse. I think I, I think there are lots of fourth graders who can draw better than I can. So I'm terrible. I can't draw at all. And I always get so... So I've been out of shape, you know, sometimes when you're doing signings or cons or something, there there's some crazy people out there who have sketchbooks full of sketches by writers for some reason. Um, who'll be quite insistent that you do a sketch. So there are a few terrible sketches of mine circulating out there somewhere that hopefully, you know, never see the light of day. <laughs> I think I've seen a couple here and there, but I, I, I believe in you, Jason. I think if you practice, if you if you assert yourself and focus on it, I bet you you could do you'd surprise even well, yourself. <laughs> see, you laugh, but I've actually thought before, like, should I take an art class? Should I go to like night school and take an art class so I could learn to draw one thing? You know, I don't know what my one thing would be if I could learn to draw a, a tiger or an elephant. <laughs> Just do an elephant and roll tide. If I could do that, if I could just get my one thing, then I could do my one sketch. That's a good so, idea. So twice a year when somebody asks me to do some shitty sketch, I could give them a more quality shitty sketch than I could previously. Well yeah, and then and then but, I mean if you and then if you do two sketches, that turns into four sketches, and the next thing you know, you have an idea about a situation for that elephant, and, then, and now you're doing a now you're doing a little six page backup. Then and I've then, got a sketchbook, yep. I'm selling sketchbooks at times. Listen, Jason. I, I know you're talented. Don't sell yourself short. I think I think you could do. I want to see Jason Aaron's elephant comic. But I, who's got time for all that shit? I mean, I barely know what I'm doing with the writing part of it. I don't need to be trying to tackle anything else. <laughs> so, um, so go, going back to the the writing aspect and how you guys work. So, I mean, with you guys working so closely, are you delivering? Like, what what? How does your process with with Latour differ from the stuff you do for Marvel? Are you delivering him a full script? Or are you guys doing it more? You know, I hate to say Marvel style, but more, you know, kind of fast and loose or what is the, you know? No, I mean, it, it's always full scripts. Yeah. Um, I mean, he and I were actually talking today. He told me he'd like to see some scripts uh, that I'd written for artists who aren't him to kind of see the. <laughs> He's getting the jealous, isn't he? <laughs> well, I think just to compare because I told him I think my scripts for him are looser and that I don't always, you know, I know when I don't have to explain something. I know what he's going to get. Um, so it, it, you know, it's a lot of just from, comes from working together so much and, and, you know, and being friends and hanging out. I mean, he's, you know, he slept at my house before I've been to, I've had dinner at his parents' house. So, 
Um, it's a different sort of relationship, you know. And with with Gera, who I worked with on Scalped and the Goddamn, it's it's the same thing. Like I kind of know we're we're close enough. We have similar enough sensibilities that that I know. I know if I give them these three words, they know exactly what I'm talking about, and they're going to run with it. I like the idea of you frantically editing a Dr. Strange script to have less detail to give to Jason to be like, oh, yeah, no, you get the <laughs> same as the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, Dr. Strange is a weird one, and that is kind of the one book I've done a lot of uh, more Marvel-style stuff on. A lot of the stuff I've done with Chris Pachalo has been like that. Yeah. Um, he wants the freedom to kind of lay stuff out himself. So it's, I mean, again, it's one of those things that keeps my job interesting is that, um, especially when you have artists that you work with a lot, like, I, you know, I've worked with Latour a lot. I've worked with Gara, Bacallo, um, Ron Garney. I've worked with a lot. So, you know, you, it's, it's fun to see how that relationship progresses and, um, uh, to see how your scripts can change and evolve because of that. So, so you know, with the experience of Southern Bastards under your belt and working with Latour, and you, you mentioned Gara on the Goddamn, your other creator-owned book, how has – because, you know, you, you really picked some interesting topics for your creator-owned books. You know? oh, I thought you were going to say I picked some crazy artists. <laughs> no, no. You picked some great artists. But, like, I mean, when you – back when back when I was at Image and we were talking about stuff and you told me you were going to do the Goddamn with, with Gara and it was going to be, you know, a biblical tale – I, 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 I was like, oh, I, I didn't, wouldn't have predicted that. I mean, so how has, you know, something that's so drastically different in tone um, than Southern Bastards or any of your, you know, kind of stuff at Marvel, how has, how has the reception to the goddamn been now that you're, what, you're on, like, issue six or seven now, right? Or uh yeah, we just just finished the first arc. We're right. starting to work on the on the next. Yeah, one. five just five just came out, right? So six is next. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and the the six will actually be something completely different, like a completely different story than. It's gonna be like science fiction. Completely different characters and like rocket ships. But no, I mean still, <laughs> still, still not that different. But um, uh, I mean certainly this is a book where we can do any you know any fucking thing we want. Like we're not. Um, we can get pretty crazy in this book. Um, but yeah, it just it, it, it's more like Brubaker's Criminal, where they're, they're, everything's set in the same world, but we'll bounce around to to see a different group of characters. Right. Um, but yeah, sorry. What was your? What well, was no, your I guess I guess question? I just kind of, just kind of now that you've got one arc done of it, you know, like and, and it's kind of you tackling the Bible. Um, are you you know? kind of looking back on it, are you where you want to be with it? Did it come out as you had envisioned or did it surprise you to see Gara come back with the kind of the depictions of, of the brutality that you laid out? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think Gara's work on it was incredible. You know, he, he poured a whole lot into it. I mean, that's why, it, you know, it took, uh, took longer to come out, especially issue five, you know, took, took quite a while, but, um, you know, at a certain point, I realized we're not we're not going to rush him. Like we're going to let him. I mean, you can see the work he's pouring into it, and we kind of just wanted to let him do that. Right. Um, yeah, I think it looks incredible. Um, you know, I think it takes everything up a notch that he was doing on Scalped. Um, so I was super happy with it. I mean, I knew going into it this like this is not a book for everybody. You know, I mean, it's called the Goddamned. It's you know the the opening chunk of the first issue, our main character is naked and, you know, murdering a huge group of people. Um, we call, we call God the C word at, at one point, like right out of the, right out of the gate. We wanted to let you know, like, this is what you bought into motherfuckers. Like this is, <laughs> you know, you keep, if you, if you keep going from this point, it's on you. You know, <laughs> we, we told you what, what you're in for. Um, so we knew it wouldn't be the book for everybody. So I, I didn't have any idea what the response would be to it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's ugly too. Like it's meant to be, um, ugly. I, I told Garrett, you know, coming into it, like every, every single person we meet in this book, except for Kane should be deformed or diseased or scarred or disfigured, you know, in, in some way, even children, even babies, like nobody's, Nobody looks perfect. Everybody's fucked up in this world, except for the one guy, you know, who can't die. Um, so yeah, it can, 
Um, I, I can see how you could look at it and say that book's a little too grim for me. That book's a little too, uh, a little too dark. But um, I mean, it's something that I've wanted to do for for years. I mean, since I I pitched this book when I first pitched Scout back in the day, so it's been bouncing around for a long time. Um, and yeah, I liked that it was something different. Again, you know, there's no other. There's no other gritty, violent Bible comic out there right now. Like we need <laughs> really to have the market cornered on that shit. You're um, all by yourselves on that shelf in that section. Absolutely. <laughs> so I like that. I mean, again, I like, you know, I like the the, the adding to the the, the diversity of, of genres and stories and comics and doing shit that's different than other people are doing. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't have to be your thing. I mean, you know, clearly I enjoy it. Um, and it's... It's uh, therapeutic for me, you know, to write about the Bible as somebody who was raised in the South and raised in the church. And, and I have a lot of strong feelings about about that and about religion in general. So, um, you know, and also I'm just kind of in love with the stories of the Bible. So this is me pouring all that into a comic. And, you know, we're just getting started on this. Like I said, it's um, this is really about exploring that world. So each arc will be exploring a different different corner of that world and what we're doing for the the next arc um it's called the virgin brides um it's going to be uh completely completely different than than um than the opening arc yeah that's one of the things i wanted to ask you about was kind of what would the long-term plan was i mean is it are you you know if you're gonna if if you're gonna bounce around in that world are you basically looking to the bible to say like okay these are the stories i want to tell or I want to do my version of, or are there, you know, yeah, yeah, some of that, you know, I mean, this first arc was really a, you know, a really fucked up version of the story of Noah's Ark. Right. Yeah. Um, so this next one is, is kind of the origin of the Nephilim who are the, the giants. You know, we, we saw one of the giants in, in this first arc. It's kind of the story of where those guys come from. Um, then, yeah, that, you know, that comes from, um, a couple of verses in the book of Genesis. So yeah, a lot of it will be um, stories of the Bible we're doing in very different kind of ways. I mean, in terms of the overall story, you know, you look at the, the first arc, it's called Before the Flood. And, yeah. you know, that first that issue five ends with it starting to rain. So that tells you, that tells you where <laughs> we're going. Uh, you know, this is always, this is a, a a book about the the world on the eve of its first apocalypse. So this is this world is so completely out of control that God's about to, you know, send a flood and, and wipe it clean basically. Um, so we're just going to bounce around and explore other parts of that world as we move closer to, um, you know, that coming flood. Well, yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, I mean, I went, I, I, I think I went to, at least kindergarten through eighth grade of religious school classes oh, yeah. after school. And it was never as interesting as the goddamn has been. So I think should probably <laughs> look at the curriculum and <laughs> it'd be a lot more interesting if it was that. Well, you know, I mean, the Bible is filled with murder and sex. Yeah. Um, we're just kind of putting it all out there. Yeah. I guess, I guess the, uh, the, the us Roman Catholics don't really like to, to, to share the fun parts. That's the <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, well, cool. Well, so um, you know, pick. You know, you you'd mentioned you know, kind of part of the motivation of doing the goddamn was to put something out there that's not, you know, hasn't been done or hasn't been out there before. Um, you know, looking over to your work at Marvel. Um, you know, we're about a year into Doctor Strange, um, and Doctor Strange has always been that title, that character that a lot of creators say if they could work on one create one character it would be Doctor Strange, and yet nobody's really been able to make it work. Um, you know, I feel like Brian K. Vaughn was the la the oath was the last one that was everyone points to as like the good Doctor Strange until until you came along, of course. Um, so what was your you know when you got when you know when you got offered Doctor Strange or when you asked for Doctor Strange, what was kind of the initial pitch and how does that compare to where we are now a year later? Um, yeah, I I, uh, I asked for it. Yeah, uh, I think I was. Um, I don't remember why. I mean the. You're like, I hear there's a movie. Can I get in on that? <laughs> well, it, 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 that all kind of happened around the same time. <laughs> I, um, you know, the Doctor Strange and Thor, the 
you know, two of the characters I've done the most of the last few years. Neither one of those were characters I grew up loving. Yeah. Like I read the Simonson stuff on Thor as a kid and loved that, but I, I did, you know, I didn't have a whole bunch of Thor comics. And Doctor Strange was was the same way. I'd read a little bit of it, but never really loved it. So it's they were never characters I was, you know, I wasn't carrying around a briefcase all my time in comics full of uh, Doctor Strange and Thor ideas. Well, hold on, wait, you have a briefcase? <laughs> well, let's back up. <laughs> is it? Is it? What kind? I used to have a brief. Surely, <laughs> I've still got my briefcase here somewhere. <laughs> it's just full of. Uh, it's just full of. Uh, fantastic four pitches. <laughs> well, they well, those, fantastic well, those, four are, those pitches. are worthless these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, but my point was that, you know, those were, I was never, I wasn't clamoring my whole life or career to write right. Thor or Dr. Strange. They both just kind of seemed to be the right character at the right time. So, um, yeah, I think I was reading that, um, untold story of Marvel comics book, yep. you know, which talks a lot about the, the Marvel of the seventies. So, you know, uh, Ingelart and Steve Gerber and, and all those guys. And, um, you know, I, I love that stuff as a fan. Um, um, you know, I was always a big fan of Ingelhart, So got to hang out with him at a show in Spain one time. He was a great guy. Um, so I think I'd read that and kind of thinking about, you know, what did I want to do next? Um, Dr. Strange just kind of sparked. It's like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to take a shot at that. Um, and it was literally like the, a week later that Kevin Feige mentioned Dr. Strange for the first time, like in an interview or something. So I was like, well, shit, we're going to be doing a Dr. Strange book soon. So I, you know, threw my, threw my name in the hat. Um, and that, you know, still took a couple of years, I think, before that actually happened. So by the time, the same way with Thor, like I just kind of said, I want to do Thor and then had to figure out, all right, shit, now what, what do I do with Thor? Um, <laughs> so Strange was the same way. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, we talked a lot about whenever we have retreats, we would, over the years, we would talk every once in a while, talk about magic. You know, it's like, how do we figure out magic in the Marvel Universe? And how do we fix this? You know, we talk about cosmic the same way at times, and you know, with eventually it was with magic. I was like, we don't have to figure out anything. We don't have to fix anything. You know, we don't have to write a long list of like here are the fifty rules of magic if you're going to write write about it in the Marvel universe. I mean, for me, I just wanted one rule, and that's that. Um, you know, Strange can't be the Data Six Machina, and he can't just wave his fingers and save the day without any consequence or repercussions like that. This guy has more consequences and repercussions to everything he does, you know, more than anybody else in the Marvel universe. You know, I mean, Cap throws a shield and it bounces back. Um, no big deal. But when Dr. Strange does something, it's got, you know, unbelievable effects, um, you know, all throughout the, our dimension. Um, so I like that idea that, you know, the, this guy is, paying the hugest price for what he does um he has to balance the price he's paying personally and what's being paid by you know kind of the universe at large so uh, that kind of formed the basis of what i wanted to do and and you know we wanted the wanted to set up that strange hasn't been doing a good job of paying this price and kind of the bill comes due um and we introduce a new enemy who you know managed manages to almost wipe out magic so then we kind of take Strange's legs out from under him and make him a guy who's, he's not just waving his fingers and shooting, you know, magic moonbeams at everybody. He's got, got to jump in there and mix it up a little bit more and really work a lot harder for everything that he gets. So, so how much of a mandate with your, with books like Dr. Strange and Thor, like does the ax come in after you establish the story or are you going into it, go, how can I get an ax in this guy's hands? Cause I see, a, I see a theme of axes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I don't remember. I don't think the act was the act my idea was strange or was it Chris? I don't remember why, but we we wanted to, him again to be more hands on right. with stuff. So we wanted to see him use weapons or or, or different tools. Um, so I think when some of Chris's sketches that he did, he had an axe and he had a bow and arrow, and some you know we saw him use a bow and arrow in one issue. 
Um, so I'm not, I don't, I don't think I explicitly asked for an X. I think that came from Chris. A lot of, a lot of the stuff came from Chris. Right. You know, the, well, yeah, well, the life that Chris brought to the Cape, you know, that was all him. Um, you know, he was kind of doing that, you know, before the movie did it really like Chris was, yeah. you see a lot of that, the Cape, its cloak is very much alive, like a living thing, which we don't even always talk about or address. It's just happening there in the panels. And so, so, and that that was one thing I wanted to ask about working with Bacello because Bacello has, you know, has got the the reputation of being, you know, one of the more out there artists and doing all stuff like that. Is is he just drawing that because he finds it interesting, or like, or once he did that, did you then start working in? Okay, have the cape doing this in the background, or how, what's the give or take between all that just insanity on every page? I mean, there's so much on every page that he draws. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, you know, he and I had worked together a little bit on Wolverine the X Men. Um, and we got to a point doing that where I'd work in a more Marvel style because, you know, Chris was kind of going to break it down the way he wanted to break it down. So I, I think it was, it was maybe the first issue of Wolverine and the X-Men. I think I wrote one splash page and he drew three. Um, <laughs> and then, and then you would get those, you know, crazy Chris Pachalo pages with, you know, like 30 panels on them, you know, that I would never have the guts to write for him, but that he would right itself yeah um so what's you know every me and niclo my editor realized like why why should just why should i break this down in the panels we'll let him do that you know he's awesome at it so i just started writing in a it's not a straight marvel style but i'll just say you know like pages one through four all this stuff happens and and all the dialogues in there too but i don't break anything down in the panels um so we carried that over into strange for the most part sometimes deadlines get in the way and I might have to do a partial script and then I'll do it in more straightforward full script. But, um, so yeah, with Chris, there's always a lot of leeway and that he's, um, he puts a lot into it. I mean, I, he, he wasn't sold on Dr. Strange initially. I kind of had to talk him into a, to it a little bit, but once he got into it, uh, he's been very invested and has a lot of ideas. So, so in that in that situation, how how, how do you talk him into Doctor Strange? I mean, like if you know, if there's an artist that that begging I, and pleading and <laughs> just just annoying until he relents. Or <laughs> well, you know, I think it's just yeah. I mean, he he is literally the only the first guy I, I ever mentioned for the book. Um, you know, Doctor Strange is one of those where it's a lot, so much of it is about the art, right? Like you can't just throw anybody on that book and have it work. Some characters are like that. I think Hulk is like that. The Ghost Rider. Some of them are so much about the visuals, and and Doctor Strange, I think, was in that category. It's got to be somebody who's got a little bit of Ditko in them, right? Who can pull off the the super weird, crazy stuff and can transport you to all these different places we need to transport you. So as soon as I was you know, it seemed like the book was going to be mine. I was like, it's got to be, it's got to be Chris. And everybody was sold on that except Chris. So we had to convince him. Um, and I think it just came from talking to him about, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's a bit different kind of take on Dr. Strange. And he was really down with that. And again, it's thrown out a lot of ideas. Um, you know, the one, the issue that, just came out, I think, our most recent issue. I forget which number it is. It's the one, it's the weirdest issue we've done. It takes place in a diner in hell, and, and you know, Strange eats some demonic bacon and has to. Is that, yeah, is that the, 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 yeah, the, the, the white and red cover? Uh, issue 14, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. That all, that was, that was Chris's idea. Chris had some ideas uh, just when we were talking about the cover. And I wasn't even sure. I knew it was the issue was going to be Doctor Strange and Satana, but I, I didn't know exactly much beyond that. So Chris had all these crazy ideas about Hell's Diner, and, and so everything kind of grew out of that. Um, so yeah, he's he's had a lot of ideas, and the the, the you know it's redesigned the the look of Strange a couple times. We've gotten a couple different looks in the book, so it's. It's been a been a big thrill. I mean, I loved working with him on Wolverine the X Men. That's still some of my favorite stuff I've done. So it's great to be able to work with him on something like this. That was uh, 
you know, I think even wackier and crazier than what we've done on, in the X-Men. Right. And so, and, and, you know, and you know, I, I love Bacello and he's great, but uh, there've been a couple of covers by Kevin Nolan, right? Yeah. And some interiors too. Yeah. And some interiors as well. And, and, and when I think of two artists, with you know, kind of opposite styles. I don't think they get a little more wider than Nolan and Vicello. Like, sure, yeah. but I think uh, they still work on the same book in my mind. I think they're guys who are both such master draftsmen and both you know idiosyncratic guys who don't look like anybody else, right? Like right. you see see a cover or page by either one of those dudes, and you know right away who it is. Um, uh, and and yeah, Kevin's a, the nicest guy he you know he lives not too far away from me um here in kansas so i've, I've gotten to hang out with him at a show really for some reason i've always had in my head that he's british <laughs> no. right like, I'm, uh, did, did i make that up i must have made that up yeah, or totally made that up yeah. oh wow okay <laughs> um, so yeah it was a huge thrill to to work with him yeah he'd done worked on a couple of different issues and, and done a done quite a few covers for us i think yeah, it's been great stuff. Um, cool. So moving on to Thor, to Thorland. Um, I didn't realize until I before as I was prepping for this interview. Um, it, it's been fo- you've been on Thor for over four years now. And, oh yeah. And it feels like just yesterday it just started with with Gore the God Killer and all stuff like that. And and what made me think of it was after reading the most recent issue of Unworthy Thor, where it seems to be circling back to that first story that you told. Has this has this is your run on Thor just one big long, you know, long story that you planned out from the beginning, or have you just been lucky enough to have it go this way? But if it is one big long thing, does Lady Thor work in that, or is that something that just happened along the way? Like how has how have you plotted out your Thor adventure from four years ago today? Um. Well, the yes and no to to all that. Uh, yes, it's it is it is been one long story and will continue to be one long story and everything is connected um no i haven't always known known every piece of it um some stuff you know has come up along the way or some stuff has changed um but yeah i mean i you know when i again when i um got that job it was it was me asking kind of out of the blue i realized like i think i'd really like to do thor um, I love the idea of you at the at the retreats just shouting out characters like I want to do Thor. <laughs> All right, what do you what, what's your idea? I don't have one. <laughs> that was that's not very far fetched. That was kind of pretty much it. I did not have an idea. I had the, the I mean I remember telling Axel I wanted to do it and he said like All right, Esad's going to draw it, and I was like Shit, I got to figure out a, sto- a story. <laughs> um. So, you know, the, yeah, that God Butcher story was a, a big story. That was like 11 issues, I think. Yep. Um, but it was always, you know, the beginning of something bigger. Um, so I had a lot of plans, a lot of big Thor plans right out of the gate. Um, and I always knew I was building towards uh, a moment where he was found himself unworthy and couldn't, couldn't pick up the hammer. Um and I knew, you know, that I wanted to do a story where somebody else picked it up. Um, the the idea for who that was, initially it was going to be um, uh, Thor's mom, Freya, was going to pick it up and, and wield it for a bit. Um, but then kind of the opportunity was there to do um, a, a you know big relaunch of the book and have it be a bigger thing. Um, and it became, uh, Jane Foster was like the the only other option. That was a story that um, kind of seemed like I had planned it the whole time when I, when I really had it. I mean, I was already kind of setting up to tell a specific story with, with a Jane and it kind of fit together perfectly um, with this new story. So I've um, uh, had been having a tremendous amount of fun with that. And again, uh, everything with her story and everything that's still going on with the, with the Odin son, um, it, it all kind of ties in with the same theme that goes back to that, to that God butcher story. I mean, that the idea of, you know, the, the gods are 
gods are really terrible and do we need them and you know is Thor a good god and what does that even mean to be a good god and and what is what does it mean to be worthy uh those are the questions that will run through uh my entire run on the book um you know you we might seem to drift away from it a little bit, but we always come back to it in a big way. And I think this, the arc that's about, you're seeing that in a big way in the Unworthy Thor miniseries, and you're about to see it in the uh, Asgard Shi'ar War that's beginning in Mighty Thor. Um, those questions always keep coming back. And yeah, now we see, you know, even Gore popping, popping back up in, in Unworthy number two. Right. Well, yeah. Well, that that was that. Yeah, that was what kind of grabbed me during as reading Unworthy because at first, uh, well, first, I mean, I had, to, I had to take a moment to get used to the Olivier Copiel art because that was, he's just like he's so good. So you're very sure. lucky to get him on board as well too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, but it was the the revisiting of Gore and revisiting of what the Whisper was, and then that kind of I mean, honestly, I mean, like got me. Not that I, I mean, I've been reading Mighty Thor. You know, a Dowderman's been great. Um, you know, I, I love what you guys have been doing with that. But this kind of, you know, kind of it, it re-energized me in terms of like, oh, this is just one big long thing, as opposed to a bunch of like this happened and now we've got Lady Thor and now this is happening. Um, so I was impressed, Jason. So good job, good, good job, you. and make it look like you planned it. It's um, all about me trying to impress your own. <laughs> I know that's what it comes down to. So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm. Uh... I've been incredibly lucky and fortunate with the artists um, I've had on my Thor run, you know, going back to Esad and then, you know, Russell Dowderman, like you said, it's been the main guy on the, the Jane Foster source Thor stuff. And I think, I mean, I, I say every arc that this is the best stuff Russell's ever done. And I actually mean it because he somehow continues to just get better and better and more impressive right. uh, with every story. And I think this stuff he's doing in the Asgard Shi'ar, uh, war storyline just looks incredible. He and Matt Wilson are, you know, I think one of the best art teams in, in comics. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I could get them at the same time I'm getting uh, Olivier is just, you know, I'm almost embarrassed by that, by those riches. Well, I mean, you are the best writer in comics as of today. So, I mean, <laughs> it just seems as if... That's what the statue behind my desk says. <laughs> So it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, so talking about great art, uh, move, and then moving where we can wrap up here on Star Wars, um, which is currently my favorite book at Marvel, um, my, my 2016 pick of the year. Um, sure, it was it was even despite your one your major gripe about it. Oh well, we're gonna get to one, that, Jason. So one, you, just, oh, okay. you just you just hold Sorry. on. We're gonna I get didn't to need that. To jump the gun. <laughs> We're going to get to that. But, um, you know, I, I felt as if we were we were totally spoiled. Oh, geez, it must have been about a year ago now or whatever. But when Eminem was do, doing his his work with you on Star Wars, because Eminem is just a monster and it's just and it's, and, sure. and it's just so good. Sure. But, you know, with this the last arc of Star Wars that wrapped up at issue 25, which I don't know. I don't know if you still listen to the podcast or not, but. I did proclaim it's, it was the best arc of the series. I thought, um, but I was oh, I was really impressed with Jorge Molina, um, and I wanted to know how closely you worked with Molina to like. It, it really seems if he stepped up with this arc. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know that we've worked. You know, I've worked any more closely with him than anything else on yep. Star Wars or at Marvel. You know, it's. Um, at Marvel, it's you know usually I, I write the script and turn it in, and whoever draws it, I probably don't even know who's going to draw it. You know when I'm writing that that first one, um, but you know whatever I'm whatever I'm doing for Marvel, I'm I'm trying to leave it open and loose enough that um, whoever that artist is, they can bring you know a lot of themselves to it. I don't I don't write super detailed um, panel descriptions and, and that sort of thing, so. Well, that, that's yeah, one, that, that's one thing I wanted to ask. Was so, how does the process differ with Star Wars, given Lucasfilm and all that sort of stuff? Like, you know, do you have a opportunity to say, you know, these this is the short list of artists I want, or is you are you just completely turning in scripts and then walking away and hoping that hoping for the best? No, I mean I'm always involved. It's it's yeah. certainly a different process. It's a much you know longer process. So, because um, everything's got to run through. Lucasfilm, so we have to do stuff, you know, way more in advance because um, they approve every every part of it. 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very different sort of process. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. Like I wasn't, I don't think I really, um, knew how much fun it was going to be. I mean, I'm a, I'm a star Wars fan. I'm always, I've always been a star Wars fan going back to a kid being a kid. I don't know that I'm a giant star Wars. There was ever a huge star Wars fan. Um, I think this doing this has made me even more of a star Wars fan. Um, not necessarily more of a Wedge and Tilly's fan. But Again, we're gonna I'm... we're gonna go there, Jason. So I'm, I'm <laughs> indulging you to, to to start to keep keep digging your own hole. But yeah. you just want to flatter me up until the very end. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, what I want to understand is that how you proclaim, you know, you aren't the biggest Star Wars. So tell me about your Star Wars fandom. Tell me about your history with Star Wars. Right? Like, did, did you see it in the theater? Like, where 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 did Star Wars enter your life? Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Empire in the theater. I can't remember when I saw um, A New Hope. Um, You know, I I had shitloads of Star Wars action figures and toys and and, uh, loved the movies. I mean, I think I was... I mean, as a kid and even now, I like a lot of different kinds of stuff. I was was never like just a comic guy or just a a fantasy guy or a sci-fi guy. I kind of like a little bit of everything. I like sports. I like wrestling. I like Godzilla movies. And, you know, uh, I'm a Renaissance man when it comes to things of, of a, of a nerd and geek nature. Like I like a little bit of all of it. So star Wars is just kind of one part of that. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I never read much of the expanded universe stuff or the comics. I read, small amount of the dark horse comics i guess growing up so all right so you're well you're a well-rounded individual and child growing up but i want to know <laughs> i want to know what's i don't know seven, if i'd say that but well, sure. let's, yeah, we'll leave it rounded um so <laughs> what, what was seven-year-old jason aaron's toy chest like did you have the action figures were you in as deep as all of us were or did you oh just, yeah yeah you mean just star wars yeah, or Star just wars. The, we're focusing on star wars we're gonna we're <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely i mean i you know i've still got my darth vader uh, action figure case in the basement yeah I've still got my Ewok village. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've still got, I've still got, I've still got all my GI Joes and my He-Man and everything. I was, I was a big toy guy. Like I, you know, I, um, I have brothers and a sister, but they're all a good bit older than me. Um, they're the youngest ones are like seven years older than me. So, you know, I kind of was more like an only child. And we, I, you know, I grew up in a very, in the, in the middle of nowhere in a small town. So, um, there was no like riding the, my bicycle to see my friends. They were all pretty far away. So I spent a lot of time playing by myself. I played in the woods a lot. Like I, I had like a little kind of a lean to I built in the woods. So it was a lot of me like making up stories um, and playing with toys. Um, that was, that was my childhood. So I spent a lot of time, you know, inside my own head. So all right. Well, so we, we didn't have that dissimilar of upbringings. I mean, and I, and I don't know if it's my northeast liberal upbringing compared to your southern. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just trying to discern where the shift or where, where things went wrong. Where things went wrong. <laughs> where you don't acknowledge or even subscribe to the fact that Mr. Wedge Antilles is the hero of the rebellion. Because we saw the same movie. We played with the same toys. <laughs> yes, we did. It's just, to me, it's math. It's like two plus two equals four. <laughs> hero plus rebellion equals wedge. So <laughs> I, I think the question is, where did you go wrong? <laughs> what happened? What happened in your childhood <laughs> to make you go down this strange, strange little side path? With but, such with such a you know well, fervency. Well, I just don't understand how you can how you can question Wedge's role in the rebellion of, of, of anything other than heroism. <laughs> uh, how about the evidence? Could the evidence doesn't make you the evidence you see with your eyes on the silver screen? Listen, he was no good back there. There's no sense he, of getting killed he over was nothing. He's definitely no good back there. Well, he's gonna live, he, He's gonna live to fight another battle another day. He, I I support him pulling out in Star Wars made perfect sense. <laughs> right. So, 
I, I I will agree with everything you said. It's just the part where he becomes the hero of the revolution. But look, you you have badgered me about Red Gentile since I took over the book. Um, you and Josh both. Well, so, I think I think badger is an extreme verb to use. Oh, I, think, bad, I think we've advised. No, I, think I think I'm being kind. So I. So I, being the good guy that I am and the true friend, yeah. one of your best friends. Indeed. I, I finally relented and gave you what you asked for. I gave you <laughs> a Wedge Antilles appearance in the Star Wars comic book, which is canon, by the way. Yep. <laughs> I gave you an appearance. I, I was so, I knew you'd be so happy. I even texted you that day and sent you a, like a screenshot of the, of my script with the words Wedge Antilles in it. Yeah, but it was the other words that, that Wedge was saying. <laughs> and I guess it's a good life lesson for you that, you know, sometimes with the joy you're going to get a bit of sorrow. <laughs> it was it was a bitter pill to swallow to finally see Wedge <laughs> grace the pages of the Star Wars comic, only to realize that very quickly that, oh, God, don't be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Uh, as well, uh, speaking of that, I mean, you've heard you've heard us talk about the "I've got this" uh, phenomenon, right? Sure, I've heard too much of you talk about it at this point. So, so as as a writer on the, pad, on the podcast and over drinks, as a writer, where do you weigh in on the "I've got this" controversy? Do you do you agree with us that it is an overused trope, or do you think that it just reflects the language of today? And after after hearing us, do you now hesitate before you put it into scripts? Well, I will certainly think of you next time it pops up. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I suppose it's an overly used. I don't know that I'd go so far to call it a trope. I mean, it's an overused phrase, sure. Uh, it, it, it didn't bother me in, in that context in which I used it. Um, maybe I'll think twice before I ever use it again. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it just it doesn't stick in my craw the way that it does yours. It's not. Um, it's not one of the things on my list, you know. Well, I, I guess I mean I mean we read I mean I don't know how many I, I don't know how many comics do you read on a weekly basis? Like, do you have a pull list or how, how are you yeah. as a reader? Oh, I read a shitload. Yeah, I yeah. read a lot. I have a big pull list. Yeah, because it, it was really it was Connor who pointed it out a couple of years ago, where it's like literally you can't go a week without seeing it in a comic. And then I, I shared that with uh, with my comic store proprietor in San Francisco, and he got all mad at me <laughs> about a month later. He's like, "God damn it, you ruined my reading comics now." <laughs> Are you talking about James? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it just it just uh, it's all out of nowhere. It seems as if it grew to a to a disproportionate uh, frequency, and it just seemed as if there's there are better better ways to get that across. See, but when you say that, it just makes me want to use it more. <laughs> Just to piss you off. Can you? Here's a question: When you do publish your elephant comic that you write and draw, can you call it "I've got this"? <laughs> I've got this. An elephant. Colon, an elephant. Roll tide. An elephant story. Roll tide. <laughs> anyway, so back. So back to Star Wars. So, in terms of you know, so like you're you're living in this interesting space of in between the first movie and and, and the second movie, right? And as you said, that these stories are canon. So how much of the give and take is it between your story ideas and where Lucasfilm wants to see the characters go? Like, you know, have you, have they said, listen, we really want to see a badass Stormtrooper Legion or is there something, or is it purely just you giving them and them approving and moving on? I know this is behind the scenes, but this is the kind of shit that everybody's curious about, so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the they haven't really given us a lot of direction that we want you to do this or we want you to do that. It's more you can't do this, <laughs> right? Us saying like, hey, we want to do these twenty five things, and they'd say, well, you can do four and a half of them, you know, like that kind of. Um, I mean, I, I, no, I don't think they've ever given us a directive of do this or do that. Um, you know, it's uh, I've. Of course, we, you know, I haven't gotten to do everything I wanted to do, but, you know, it's, that's the same thing as when I'm working at Marvel. Um, I've been really excited and pleased with the stuff we have gotten to do, especially coming right out of the gate. You know, in that first arc, I, I liked that 
feel like we were able to sell it as a big book, you know, that we could put Luke and Vader face to face and we had Luke figure out a way to have Luke fight Boba Fett and have had Boba Fett be the one to to say the name Skywalker to Vader for the first time. So those all all felt like big, you know, meaty important moments. Um, you know, putting Vader and uh, Jabba the Hutt face to face. Um, so so I, I liked all that big stuff we've been able to do. You know, I think it's harder to do that every arc. It's it's hard to kind of find the space to do stories that are seem big and meaningful when. Um, you know, we all know where these characters are going to end up um, and where we're going. Um, and I never wanted to be a book that was just filled with um, all new characters. You know, I, I want to see Luke and Han and Leia and, and Chewie and, and everybody we know and love um, at the heart of it, the forefront of it. Uh, so it, it was just a, trying to figure out how to do stories with them that feel big and fresh uh, and interesting. So, yeah, I really liked that. I had a lot of fun with the, the uh, stolen Star Destroyer story. Um, you know, again, we want to do something that just felt like Star Wars. It felt like um, it's another chapter of, of the, you know, that story we all love. Um, and, yeah, part of that, I guess, was introducing this new group of, of stormtroopers. And that just came from me wanting – you know, wanting some other bad guys because uh, we couldn't. There's only so much we can do with Vader when he pops up. Um, and I wanted to do, you know, kind of a sort of a, a GI Joe version of, of a group of stormtroopers have like a, <laughs> you know, small group of, of you know, the, the demolition guy and the sharpshooter and the that guy. I, and I just whatever. realized I just realized it now, but that's the that's the most accurate way to describe them. They're right. <laughs> And to have them be, you know, badass. To have them actually kill people and accomplish things. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll continue to see those guys pop up and butt heads with their with their heroes. Yeah. So, so one of, one of the questions that came up while we were talking about on the podcast was, you know, it's twenty five issues in. I think it was Josh who posed the question, which is, is is this just completely ongoing, or do you, or is this ever going to, you know, suffer from the Marvel renumbering, renumber oneing, or <laughs> and or how much of this do you have in you? Like, is it is is doing, you know, this kind of level of a book that's got so much oversight taxing to the writing uh that ever makes it not not fun and you know is that the point when you walk away or um yeah i mean but the, i mean i can't speak to kind of, you know what marvel's overall plans are for everything i mean i know kind of where what my plans are um you know and I, i've i've uh i've turned in you know outlines that go uh a few arcs past um uh, what's come out um so uh, we'll see. Like next year is going to be a, a different sort of year for me. I mean, I, um, I I haven't had to do anything at Marvel, especially these last few years, that wasn't fun. Right. Uh, like I really love everything I'm doing. Um, you know, and, and the the I think my only problem is maybe, especially lately, is is I've got a lot. Um, <laughs> You know, doing two Thor books and Doctor Strange and, and Star Wars requires a little more work than than the other Marvel stuff I do, and then two creator own books on the top of that. So I'm just been busy. So I I think uh, you know at some point next year you'll see me downshift a little bit and some stuff start to start to change around. Um, which you know it's always going to happen every few years. But sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't guess I should say anything beyond that other than I'm excited to, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, in, I, I, I'm lucky. Like I, 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 I genuinely do like what I do. I'm always excited. Um, you know, every week when I get to wake up and trudge upstairs and sit here and make up silly stories and actually make a living at it. Um, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, love that I've never had to choose between doing creator on stuff like bastards and goddamn and stuff. That's, you know, very dark and, and personal and stuff that I own uh, with my co-creators. Yeah. And, and at the same time, um, getting to, to, 
you know, write Thor for four years and get into to relaunch Doctor Strange and get to launch, you know, Marvel's first Star Wars book in years. Like, um, but I, I love all that stuff, like genuinely, like I'm not, I never a guy who started working at Marvel just because I wanted a career in comics and I knew like, well, this is the way you do it. Um, you know, if that was, if that was why I was here to begin with, I wouldn't still be here. I'm, I'm at Marvel cause I, I still love it. Um, well, well still, you could also, you could tell, you could tell a little bit of the truth, Jason, you're at Marvel for your, your, our shared love of the X-Men. <laughs> See, I think, I mean, you love X-Men more than I do too. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I think uh, I love X Men more than anybody. You do love X Men more than most everybody. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, if I was writing the characters that I was most attached to as a kid, um, like in my formative years, I would be doing uh, Atari Force <laughs> for DC <laughs> and Long Shot, probably for Marvel. Oh. Um, I would read the hell out of your Long Shot series, by the way. <laughs> oh man, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so probably some Batman, some Blue Devil. <laughs> well, uh, no, I mean, well, it's clear, it's clear that you're. I mean, you, you, you definitely. I mean, there's a reason why you are the best writer in comics as of now, uh, thanks to the Eisner Committee, because <laughs> because you're putting in that that you know you know whatever that is that you do, whether it's you know kind of combination love or combination of you know of you know just great storytelling that, that makes every book that, I mean, you're one of the few writers who it's still to this day where, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not shining your shoes cause I've shined your shoes years ago and that's how we became friends. But, um, <laughs> no, but like, like if you look at it, like we always, we always say how you're able to, you know, I read all the books that you write currently and each one is different. No book is the same. You know, a lot of people, some, some writers fall in the same, Oh, well he writes this type of stuff, but you know, like going, going back to the, I mean, I miss Wolverine and the X-Men because there was so much humor in that book, you know? And if anything, I, I, you right. know, I you get a little bit of the humor from the star Wars side, but I think you've, you've got a way funnier side to you that I don't think is cu- currently coming out as strong in the comics as, as it has in the past. So. Well, I think you've seen some of that in Dr. Strange. Okay. Yeah, true. Yep. All right, so my last question for you about Star Wars, or actually two questions for you about Star Wars, is that when you go meet with Lucasfilm, do you have to pretend to like the prequels? <laughs> no. Okay, good. And number two, um, where do you fall on the Return of the Jedi end song? Do you prefer the special edition New Agey song, or are you a Yub Dub man? And Jason, answer this question. Be very careful how you answer this question. <laughs> I feel like I'm feel like there's no right answer to this. Oh no, there's a right answer. <laughs> I don't know. We got this. We got this. That's my answer. Excellent. All right, Jason. Well, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Um, you know, we'll keep reading all the great stuff and look forward to what's coming out in twenty seventeen. And uh, thank you for giving us uh, stuff to talk about on the podcast this whole year. I know our, I know the iFan base is, uh, your, is uh, has a lot of your fans are in or listen to the podcast, so we appreciate it on behalf of all them. Well, thanks. I love you guys. And a big thank you to Jason Aaron for giving some time out of his busy schedule to chat with us, especially right before the holidays. And even a bigger thanks to you, the listener, and the supporting iFanboy patrons. If you want to help support iFanboy, you can go to patreon.com slash iFanboy, where you can sign up there as little as a dollar a month, and you get some great rewards, little perks. We'll even give you a free superpower on the podcast uh, on a weekly basis, so you can listen for that. Uh, It's a great time. We thank everybody for supporting us at patreon.com slash iFanboy. Head over to iFanboy.com, where you can find other interviews like this, as well as all the great comic book discussion uh, on a weekly basis. It's all there at ifanboy.com. So until next time, I'm Ron and have a great holidays. I just want to wish a Merry Christmas to my people, to my family, and to my friends in Sokorella.